0: Good morning, my name is Pastor Danny Deeth and I welcome you to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. It is summer in Columbus, Georgia and we are doing some things in new and different ways and we encourage you to hold true for your faith as well. Let's seek God in some new and different ways. We can do this together. We're glad you're here. Come on in.
1: Our scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 10. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows was caught up in paradise and heard things that we are not to be told, that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me then what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations? Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Our second lesson is taken from Mark's Gospel. We are in chapter 6, and we are reading verses 1 through 13. That is Mark 6, 1 through 13. Listen again with fresh ears. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks indeed be to God. So friends, today, it is a celebration. It is Independence Day for our nation, and indeed, we celebrate. If you remember the humorous Irma Bombeck, who used to write a syndicated humor column, some 15-plus top-selling books, she said in response to celebrating Fourth of July, what a country is America. You have to love a nation that celebrates its Independence Day every July 4th, not with a parade of guns, tanks, and soldiers in front of the White House, but by family picnics picnics, where kids throw Frisbees, the potato salad gets soggy, and the flies die from happiness. And to be true, our celebration includes our military successes. But in the midst of all of that, It did not come without challenge. If you know the history of how our nation began, especially today, declaring our independence, you know that there were so many points where it seemed fragile, that if this didn't happen, then would we be here? Or if this person wasn't committed to this new idea that could be America, would we still be an independent country. I want to lift up Thomas Paine to you. Thomas Paine was born in 1737 in England, and he had a lot of challenges in his life. As a matter of fact, he didn't really do anything successful until it was close to the independence of this country. He overcame many obstacles, many things that he, was simply, that he simply failed at. For example, he was born into a financially struggling family, had to quit school at age 13 to labor as an apprentice in his father's corset shop. He did a brief stint as a sailor on a privateer ship at 20, tried and failed to start a craftsman business. He managed to land a government job as an excise tax collector, but was fired twice. The second time, after leading an unsuccessful campaign to get higher wages for him and his colleagues. He failed efforts, his failed efforts to lobby Parliament left him with a view of the British government that did not sit well with him. So it wasn't until through his friend, Benjamin Franklin, he came to the United States and he wrote something that was very important to the declaration of this nation from Britain. He wrote what was called Common Sense, a 47-page pamphlet, first published in Philadelphia in 1776, a scathing polemic against the injustice of a rule by a king. He also made eloquent arguments that Americans had a unique opportunity to change the course of history by creating a new sort of government in which people were free and had the power to rule themselves. My understanding is that even in early 1776, Many people in the 13 colonies were opposed to the taxation and the being ruled by the king, George III, but they still considered themselves members loyal to the monarchy. And this common sense pamphlet that went out changed the minds of many, so they pushed those in leadership, to have to make a decision. Several of the other founding fathers would write later that it was because of common sense that it pushed us to the point where just a few months later, the Declaration of Independence would be established by the Second Continental Congress, that it would be formed by Jefferson, Franklin, a few others, and what we now know as the Declaration of Independence would come into being. He overcame those obstacles. He tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed until he found what he felt like he was called to do and to be. It's not that different from what Jesus is preparing his disciples for today. We are in the sixth chapter of Mark, and in the fifth chapter, Three things happen. Jesus does three miracles. Simple as that. And they are miracles based on either faith or the recognition of who Jesus is. The first, he goes uh, across the sea to, to where the Gerasenes live, that section of that region. As soon as he gets on to shore, who runs out? A man possessed the Gerasene demoniac is what we call this. And immediately, it is the demons within this tortured soul that recognize Jesus as the Son of Man. Why are you here? They recognize him before others do. Many of the disciples don't yet get it. But these demons do. And he drives them out into the swine herd and they exit stage right off the cliff. So they knew and believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Second one, Jairus's daughter. Jairus was a, a leader in the synagogue, came to Jesus and said, my daughter is so sick, please come and help. Only you can help her. And in that plea, he is showing his faith that only Jesus can save her. And while Jesus seems to be on the way to Jairus's house to help his daughter, the hemorrhaging woman comes to him, touches his garment, been bleeding consistently for 12 years. And what does Jesus say? Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. And then by the time Jesus gets to the house, they they run out and say, she's dead, Jairus' daughter is dead. Not the first time. We have echoes of Lazarus that we will see later on. And they say, it's too late, she's dead. And Jairus continues, please, Lord, you can heal her, you can bring her back. And Jesus does, and again, it is the faith of Jairus that is pointed to and Jesus reinforces. So you have these three stories in chapter five, and immediately we come into chapter six, where Jesus goes home. And he's with his people. It is the Sabbath. He stands up to preach and starts, lays it on him, gives him a good one. And they start looking at each other and Saying "Uh, what? Jesus, little Jesus, is that you? Why are you speaking this way? How do you have this wisdom? What sense are you? I don't. I don't understand. And they're looking at you. This is. Isn't this the carpenter? Weren't you a carpenter growing up? Weren't you the one that used to pull my daughter's pigtails? Weren't you the one that came door to door with your box of chocolate raising money for Nazareth T-Ball League? I remember you. You're just like one of us. And it's not, we can't hold them too much accountable in the sense that it would be very difficult for them to see that this is the Messiah that came as one of of them? No, the Messiah was to be grand and full of power and glory and wealth and armies to overthrow Rome and establish Israel on what would be that glorious Independence Day for them. And here's little Jesus, built my table, built my door frame. And it's beyond just not them believing he says, wait, the son of Mary? That's not the way we track lineage. It would have been through Joseph. And even if Joseph was dead, there's a good chance that this is an insult to Jesus. Say, so you're Mary's Mary's son? Questioning his parenthood, uh, Jesus' parents. And it's, again, it's not just a neutral thing. I don't know if I believe this guy. He so said, they took offense at him, they took offense. him. Couldn't get it. Couldn't piece it together. There's a a story about a pastor who just graduated from seminary, went through his schooling, his whole process, was ordained. His first sermon, he opted to do back at his home church. Not an unsimilar situation. All of his family, extended family, lived there in the town. They all came as high school buddies, college friends. They're all there together. And he stands, now properly ordained, now given his stole and robe to be a majestic proclaimer of God's Word. As he stands and begins his sermon, his six-year-old niece stands up, goes into the aisle, hands on her hips, and she says, what are you doing You don't know what you're talking about. You're Uncle Rob. Get down from there. They had a good laugh and was able to continue. But it's the same thing. How can somebody that we know, even within our own family, be God's son, this chosen Messiah and king? I don't blame them. It would be very hard. It'd be very hard no matter who stood up to make these claims, much less somebody that they've known forever who's just like one of them. And it says literally that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. In chapter 5, they were all amazed at the healings. They used the same word, amazed at what Jesus was able to do, and Jesus himself uses the same words and says he was amazed at their disbelief. He says, prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own family, in their own house. Believe me, in my own house, that is true. And it says, interestingly enough, he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and cured them. And again, he was amazed at their disbelief. He could do no deed of power? Wait, does that mean, excuse me, that because they didn't believe, Jesus has no power? Does Jesus' power only come from we who claim to believe, and how many really do? Are we limiting Christ by our lack of belief, or is that the way that this works? I think not. <laughs> Breathe easy. Jesus isn't dependent on our belief to accomplish his mission and spreading God's love, joy, hope in grace through that world and ours. Well, then what does it mean he could not? Well, in Matthew's similar account, it says he did not do any deeds of power or miracles. Matthew uses a slightly different understanding and says Jesus sees their lack of faith the way that he has been insulted and says you know what, we're not gonna do that. You're not ready to understand, you're not ready, and I'm, I'm not here to do a Vegas show for you. I'm not gonna snap my fingers and bring all these miracles just so that you believe even though you should. So then the very next thing that happens He teaches and calls the 12 and begins to send them out. Authority over the unclean spirits. Take nothing. Trust God. Whenever you enter a house, stay there till you leave. If they don't welcome you, what? Shake off the dust and move on. It's as if Jesus points out that he has had obstacles in his hometown, and then amazingly goes to the disciples who he is sending out and says, Guess what? You're gonna have obstacles as you go forward as well. Not unlike the sower, that seed of the gospel and God's love and joy and resurrection will be spread on good soil, fertile soil and soil that will not allow it to be received or grow. In a similar way, Jesus is saying, look, did you just see what happened there? It almost seems like Jesus is setting them up from his experience of being insulted and not accepted in his hometown. Look what just happened to me, disciples. Right before this, we did three amazing things acts of healing, and everybody believed, and it was the faith that was driving us, and now we come here and there is no faith, I'm getting ready to send you out, and guess what you're going to encounter? Both of those things. We all know that there are obstacles in life. We all know that failure is a part of success if we allow ourselves not to be overcome by that which doesn't overtly succeed. Jesus is saying, there are going to be obstacles out there and you're going to fail. That's a part of this. We've set this up. Jesus is, I'm paraphrasing. We want people to make their own decision and come to faith through their own experience, their understanding, their learning, the Spirit working in their hearts, And so because of that, you're not programmed for faith per se. God wants you to come to make a declaration of your own free will, of your own experience, your own study, your own growth, your own worship and service. in part of the Christian community, God wants you to come on your own. Otherwise, everything would be successful and everybody would be a Christian and there would be no problems. That's not the way that God set it up. There are going to be times when things don't work out for us. We know that in all aspects of life, in our jobs, in our families, in our finances, in any group that we're a part of. Sometimes things go well. Sometimes things do not go well. And it's how we treat those things that don't go well that I believe Jesus is addressing To say, don't be overcome by that which doesn't go perfectly. It's a part of this system. Now, he's saying also that you're going to have great and amazing encounters and successes as far as people receiving you and hearing the word of God. You're going to have that, and then you will have these challenges. Well, welcome to life. But as Vicky mentioned this morning, if we are like those fireworks, Jesus sends us out. And you, you know, you've been at the shows, it goes, boom, boom. That means they've left their point of origin, boom. And then they go up, and then you wait. And when they explode, everybody goes, ah. And if they just dud, boom, boom, boom. They go up, ah. We are called not to be those that go and fizzle out. We are called to be those that go and explode with the light and the love of Christ as missionaries sent so that others will know. Overcoming obstacles is a part of who we are. Overcoming obstacles has been a part of our nation from the very beginning. To quote George Washington in a letter to his wife on July 3rd, 1776, in a few days you will see a declaration setting forth the causes which have impelled us to this mighty revolution and the reasons which will justify it in the sight of God. I am fully aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states, yes, through all the gloom I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. Through this gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. So today, as we celebrate our nation's development, how we got started... We are not putting country above God. We as Christians are celebrating how God has been with us from the beginning, started us on our trek, is with us now, and will continue to be with us, but not just us. But we can and do celebrate the joys of this country knowing that there are still great things that we need to fix, injustices we need to work on together to build Christ's kingdom. But it's okay to celebrate because God has been with us from the beginning and God is with us now. So as you go forward today, know that you are being called to be that firework. As Jesus sent those 12 out, you are being sent, not just a foom, 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 And then burn out, but rather to explode in God's light and resurrection glory that others will know. And know that as Thomas Paine struggled until he found what he was called to do, struggle is a part of our journey. Obstacles are a part of our journey. Failure is a part of our journey. But so too are successes, joys, and celebrations. So let us go today as God's people celebrate our call in the world and celebrate our great nation hallelujah amen